So for tonight, we're going to pick up back into our Luke series in Luke 17. We're going to start there in verse 20, and we're going to work through the end of the chapter. And then uh, Pastor will continue uh, Luke 18 here coming up. So as we're whoops. So as we're looking at the passage tonight, I want to have your perspective already going in a direction that when we think about Jesus' kingdom, that there's this already but not yet understanding with it. And I'll talk more through that in a moment. Let me go ahead and open us with a word of prayer here. Father, I ask that as we're working through the passage that you would give us great calmness and understanding to listen to you that you would help us to learn more about you, learn more about the truth, and then how we can apply that out in our daily lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you want to, go ahead and turn there to Luke chapter 17. Again, as I said, we'll start there in verse 20. We'll read through the end of the chapter. So as we pick up this, we've dealt with some different passages that talked about the unworthy servant. We talked about the 10 lepers a few weeks ago. And then now uh, Jesus is transitioning to answer a question. And so the question comes here right there at the beginning of verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Verse 22. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of these uh, days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and as the lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. Verse 25. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They will be eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, uh, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed? On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with the goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Verse 33. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in the night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other will be left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and one will be left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So we've got a lot of interesting passages to talk through here. But I want us to look at the whole passage first to just make sure we're getting a perspective. It really seems like we have one question and Jesus gives two answers. He gives a quick answer, a short answer, and then he gives a much longer answer. And so we're going to work through those answers to be able to figure out exactly what is Jesus talking about. How is he answering this question when he's asked, you know, about the kingdom of God and when it will come? 
So one thing that we need to make sure that we're understanding is that we always use Scripture to interpret Scripture. If we're not sure about a passage, if we're not sure about a wording, if we can find some similar wording, if we can find a similar passage to be able to gain insight into the passage that we're working through, that's how we want to do it. And so I want to go to a couple passages because I think they give us a very good insight, Jesus' answers and where Jesus' answers are coming from. And so we have Matthew 12, um, 22 through 32. I'm not going to read through all of that. Uh, but we have here where a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, so that from that man spoke and saw. And then we jump to 28. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus is speaking. Sounds kind of similar here. He's reiterating the kingdom of God has come upon them. And then we jump down to 32. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. A whole other text for another night, but a good word right there. Notice the ending of this verse. Either in this age or in the age to come. So we have two ages that Jesus is talking about. This age and the age to come. So now let's go to Luke 20. 34 through 36 and Jesus said to them the sons of this age again this age marry and are given in marriage but those who are considered worthy to attain that age and to be the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage for they cannot die anymore because they are equal to the angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection so again a different topic but Jesus is bringing in this perspective, this understanding that there is this age and then there is an age to come. So I've gone back for those. How many were here for the Revelation series from Pastor? Okay, so half of you. Half of you might remember this slide. I pulled it uh, out of Pastor's slides from back, uh, the actual, the last sermon in that series where he kind of did an overview of everything. So within this, we have a simple picture. And it's really good to have a simple picture because we do have a lot of information in Scripture. But sadly, we don't always get a lot of detail within certain passages, within certain topics. And so many times, people want to paint out the transition from what we're living in now to the end of the times and they want to give you every little detail and they want to nail it down in a very specific order and that this is going to happen and this is going to happen and this is going to happen and then this is going to happen. But sadly, I don't know that we get that much detail. We might get the events, but I don't know that we can nail it down very detailed in a straight order. And so I think Pastor really helped us by giving us this simple picture. There is this age right now that we are in, and then there will be Jesus' day. There will be a lot that will go on within that midst of it, and then there will be the age to come. So within Jesus' day, the day of the Lord, <coughs> we'll have, oh, sorry. Let me just jump to there for a second. So within Jesus' day of the Lord, culminations of the present age, beginning of the age to come, manifestation of God's wrath, revelation of the Lamb of God, 
vindication of the saints of God, the great white throne judgment, eternal salvation of the elect of God, glorified bodies, eternal damnation of all unbelievers, destruction of the earth, eradication of the devil, the demon, death, and sin. So that's what's going to happen in that day in some way, in some order. Again, I don't know that we have the specifics that we can nail it down to the level that some people like to put it in an order. I will back up and I'll look at this age and the age to come. To me, I see some other terms that we can throw in there, some other titles that we can throw in there. The already, the not yet. And that's where I got the understanding for the title for us tonight, is working through Jesus' kingdom and having a tension. We talk about tensions here within Berean a lot, when we can hold this truth and we can hold this truth, but we're not exactly sure where they meet, where they match up. They're both true, but yet where they connect, we're not exactly sure. Now, some people out there are, because some people like to just really jump on this side and say, this is really true, and then some people jump on this side and they say, this is really true, but they have a hard time trying to navigate that middle. They don't like to be able to admit that they don't know enough to say that I don't know where they meet. This is something that we're holding in tension. The understanding that Jesus' kingdom is, but Jesus' kingdom will also come. And we need to have that perspective. There's a balance within that. Earthly kingdom, here right now. Eternal kingdom, for on and on. Jesus is our king, ruling and reigning through our lives of believers. Now, he's not ruling and reigning in the lives of unbelievers, but he's ruling and reigning through the lives of us as believers. The wedding supper of the Lamb, again. So we see that picture of this age, and then there will be the age to come, separated by the great day of the Lord when he comes back. And so most of that was from the slides that Pastor had given on the Revelation series. So now let's go back and let's start walking through the passage. So we see within these first two verses three components that I think we need to highlight. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. So they're asking a question. Why do you think the Pharisees are asking this question? Why are they curious about the kingdom of God and when it's going to come? Why do they want to know? They want deliverance from Rome. Yeah. Say, Mike. They want deliverance from Rome. Yes, Elder Mike. They're looking for deliverance from Rome. How do they think that deliverance is going to come? There is this Messiah, this promised one, this anointed one, this king that is to come. And what is that Messiah, that promised one, going to bring? It's going to bring freedom and his kingdom. And so they have that perspective. They understand about the Messiah and they want to know when the Messiah is coming, when the kingdom is going to start, because they want to get rid of Rome. Now, I'm not fully going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I think they are curious and they're seeing if he has some kind of answer. But I'm also wondering if there's a little tongue-in-cheek here on they're not seeing in Jesus what they think that they should be seeing in the Messiah. So they don't think it's him. And so by asking him this question, they're just kind of prodding him a little bit and kind of putting it in his face. He's coming across like he is, 
but you're really not. So I think that's why they're asking him the question. We move into the second part of these verses. He answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look here, it is or there. So again, what are they looking for? How are they anticipating the kingdom being installed or coming in? Yep. There's going to be a physical presence. It's going to be what? It's an earthly. Yes, it's huge. It's right now. Yeah, it's going to be right now during this time period. But what is Jesus saying to them? Yeah, it's not going to be earthly. It's not going to be in the way you think. It's not going to be that big because it already happened. He's already here. He's already in their midst. What they should be looking for, they missed. We go to Luke. While others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. Continually, they're just wanting the big signs. They're wanting to see something huge happen. A little taste of application for us here. I think we need to be careful. Sometimes in our lives... Sometimes we can get maybe a little demanding and we're asking for God to do certain things that are more sign-related than actually His will-related. We've got to be careful about that. I'm not saying you don't ask God because we know the Scripture tells us we ask God. And sometimes we don't have because why? Because we didn't ask Him. But yet we have to be careful on what we're asking for. So now we finish out the passage there at the end of verse 21. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And so he's being very transparent with him. He's being very honest with him. What you're looking for did not happen the way you thought it it was going to happen. But it did happen. And so that's where we have to come to this understanding. How can Jesus say that the kingdom is present? How can he say that the kingdom is in their midst? Oh, okay. So, so he, he who is there? Aha. When you have a kingdom, you have to have a king. And Jesus is our king. And he is present. When we think through Jesus, we have lots of different titles, lots of different understandings and perspectives. We have to be careful. Sometimes people want to divide those out. Jesus is all of them all the time. At every moment, he's king, he's master, he's savior, he's Messiah, he's Christ. He's all of those. And we have to be careful if we try to separate them out. Because for some, they want to separate out when Jesus is king and when Jesus is not king. And that's where we have to have the understanding from the moment that he came in human presence, the king, our king, was here on earth. In Ephesians chapter 1, 15 through 23, but I'm not going to read all of it for the sake of time. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and so that's Paul talking to the church at Ephesus, Remembering you in my prayers. And so he's going to start into praying for them. And then verse 20. 
that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age to come, the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him the head over all things to the church, which is the bo- which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What does that picture seem like? What does it look like what we just read? What's it describing? It's describing the already and not yet of what? His, his kingdom. He's reigning. And so even within Paul's perspective, he saw both dynamics. He saw that Jesus came, but then he left. So he was here, but then in our hearts as believers, he's still reigning. He's still above all rule. And forever, for that future age, the age to come, he is going to be ruling. So what evidence, so what is the main evidence that Jesus' kingdom has come now? When we're looking on the earth today, what's the main evidence that we can point to and we can say, see, Jesus is ruling and reigning on the earth today? We look at the church. So what is the church? Is it the buildings, the structures, the edifices that we have here? The church is the believers. It's the people. And so how can people see Christ ruling and reigning in the people? We're to be a light. How else can people see that Jesus is ruling and reigning today? If people don't see you being different and you submitting, as Pastor said, you surrendering your will, your desires, your wants over for something that is different, will they ever be able to see Jesus? If they don't see it in you, how are they going to see him? Oh, well, they'll see it in the next believer, right? So it's not my responsibility. Lynn doesn't have to do it. Evan will be bright enough. He'll be a big enough light that he'll overshadow and Lynn doesn't need to worry about it, right? Now that's silly and we don't say that. But yet at times, is that not what we actually do? We allow, oh, well somebody else will pick up the slack. Somebody else will be more obedient Somebody else will be more visible. Somebody else will make the harder choice, the harder stand, the greater sacrifice. It it won't have to be me. So the changed lives of his disciples, Jesus ruling and reigning in their lives, the lordship and the Christ-likeness. We have to understand, again, we can't separate Jesus. So when you believe in him, you're believing, you're trusting in Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Lord. Jesus as King, Jesus as Messiah, Jesus as the Christ. You have to allow him, if he is your King, to rule and to reign. So that means day to day. That doesn't mean the big events. That doesn't mean only on Sundays. 
That means when you look at everything within your life, when you look at Sunday to Saturday, and you focus through the different activities that go on in those days, you have to say, I'm going to let him rule and reign in my life. And be specific. So let's just take a moment. What is an area that we as Christians should allow Jesus to specifically be ruling and reigning? What's an area? The way we handle our time. The way we handle our finances, our money. Our language, the language that we use on that. This side, your slack, okay? This side's killing it. And it's also just the front on this side, so, you know. The way we interact with social media. The way we treat each other. Kyle, what was that? Parenting. The way we parent our children. The way we are at work. In our marriage. Yes. So let's jump to Matthew just to reiterate the point. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who has spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. I want us to make sure that we understand that in this age, now, in our lives, as believers, Jesus is king. So now we go back to our main passage in Luke 17, starting there, verse 22. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of these days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. So now we just transitioned. We moved from the first answer that Jesus gave about the coming of the kingdom, which is the already, right now, and we've transitioned into the not yet. So what is Jesus pointing out to the disciples right here? What's he talking to them about? What is he warning them about? Over here? Okay, short period of time. Somebody over here? So the first part is, is he's got to go. And the second part is, is people are going to be saying what? Oh, he has come back and here he is or there he is. And what's he warning them in that passage? What is he telling them not to do? Yeah, don't follow them. Why? Why do they not need to follow the people that say, hey, he left, but he came back and he's over here? Yes. Yeah, we have to understand for Jesus to come back, it's going to be the fanfare now. Okay? And so he's warning them, hey, don't worry about it. You won't miss it. You will catch it this time. Many missed it the first time. But nobody is going to miss it the second time. It will be very clear. In Revelation 1-7, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him. So, it's a clearly a promise that when Jesus comes back for that second time, nobody is going to miss Him in any way. 
But yet when Jesus comes back for the second time, on that big list that I gave you, what was one thing that we definitely need to remember and focus on? What is that dividing when Jesus comes back? That is the end of this age, and that is the end of what opportunity? To have a relationship, to believe. And so that's where you know, we have to think through. We have to think through this age, Jesus' great day of the Lord, and the age to come. Verse 25, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So Jesus has said this before. He's pointed this out at different times. What is the big event that he is pointing out? He's talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. He wants them to see clearly what they've been missing. So we know the Jews that are not believing in Jesus as the Messiah, they're missing that as a great point. But even his disciples were not clearly seeing that he had to die, he had to leave. And so they needed to see that and understand that to grasp the whole picture. It's easy for us to look back and to read into, oh, well, if they're believers, then they get the whole picture. They understand it all easy peasy, just like you and I do, right? We do that even though we know we don't understand it easy peasy, but yet at times we think we do, and when we see them, we're like, boy, they're dumb, they're slow. Why didn't they understand that? Yeah. In Luke 9, and he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So again, he wants them to see it. He wants them to understand, to have the expectation of that he is that sacrifice, that he will be sacrificed. But yet, they're not always grasping it. They're not always connecting all the dots. So then let's go back to our main passage in Luke 17. Just as it was in the days of Noah, it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So we think back through the flood. We think back through Sodom and Gomorrah. What were the people doing right up until those two events? Until the flood came down, until Sodom and Gomorrah, the fire and the sulfur came down. What were the people doing? They're just living life, are they not? So what is Jesus' point about his second coming. People will be living their life when his second coming comes. So will we know when it is exactly? We won't know exactly. The world will not know exactly. But yet it is coming. And it's coming in that way. And it will catch most of the world totally off guard. It won't catch believers quite as much off guard, but it'll catch the unbelievers very much off guard. Talk through that one. 
So knowing what happens when Jesus comes back, what should we be doing? What do we need to be about in this age? Loving him with all of our heart, mind, and soul. Somebody over here. Be on guard. Love God. Love God. Filling the Great Commission. Bearing him. Sharing him. Be a disciple that makes disciples. You know, we need to be about making disciples. That is our commission. That is the Great Commission. That's why we reference it as the Great Commission. And so as we think through this passage, and as Jesus is answering the question of when the kingdom of God is coming, we get this picture. That can't just be head knowledge that we bank and we're getting smarter to know that there is this age and then there is Jesus' day, his second coming, and then there is the age to come. We need to see the application within it to realize we're not sure exactly when it will come. And so we need to be about what we need to be about until the time that we're no longer able to be about it. Either that Jesus comes back or that he would take us home. Back in Luke 17 to our main passage on that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let one who is in the field not turn back. Ooh, 32 there. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. So what was happening with Lot's wife? What was, yes, sir. Yes, she did. She turned back and then she was turned into a pillar of salt. Why do you think she turned back? Yeah, she, she didn't have faith and she was longing. What was she longing for, crowd? She was longing for the old life. You know, as God was trying to move her forward, literally, okay, that was a literal, not a figurative, okay, because there are passages that do both and we've got to be able to figure that out. God was literally moving her forward away from the danger, but yet she couldn't leave what she had behind. And so what was Jesus warning here? Well, he said once before, any man who puts his hand to the plow is not worthy of the kingdom. And the idea is you can't make a straight row if you're looking behind you. So your old life is over. Yesterday's gone. What matters is moving forward in your progression to Christ. So you, just, you don't look back. You just keep moving forward. You know, you know, we have to understand, you know, we can't look back. We can't hold on to what already has been within our lives. Now, does that mean that we don't learn from what has happened in the past? We do learn. We should learn from what has happened in the past. We should be able to look back and have that understanding, that wisdom of what has happened. For what reason? Yeah, so we don't do it again. We don't do the same thing. And it also helps others that are in that position. Good one, Blake, on that part. For us, often, Satan is really not that smart. And when he tempts us, often he tempts us with what things? 
things that he's tempted us with before, tendencies, things that stripped us up before on that. And so often when we're looking back, we're looking at those same areas and we're holding on to those same things. So for unbelievers, what are things of the world that unbelievers love? Money. What else do unbelievers love? Power, self. Well, they like things, luxuries, the pleasures of life. What's that? They, they, they want their free will. They want to do what they want to do. They don't want anybody to tell them what to do in any way. Now, of course, as believers, we always love Jesus more than we love the world. Amen? Yeah, definitely on that part. <clears throat> So, how are you doing it not loving those same things? Because the question that I just asked was kind of a tongue-in-cheek, because we know that none of us are perfect, none of us are totally Christ-like, and so, sadly, we give in to temptation. But I'm asking you, how are you doing with that? How much are you giving in? Are you growing in Christ-likeness so you're giving in less and less and less are you actually even trying to track it are you even willing to assess how you're growing in Christ likeness or are you really just kind of satisfied with just how it is and you're just trying to do the best you can if the Holy Spirit is within us and if we are surrendering to the Holy Spirit, there should be a growth, there should be a progression that we can see within our lives. And so we can look at the things that the world loves and we can literally see ourselves loving them less and less and less. Let's just take language, for example. Somebody mentioned that a moment ago. Language should be something that you can track very easily. And you can look at your language that you've used in the last week, and you can compare that language to the language you spoke a year ago at this time. Is the language you're using more Christ-like this year now than it was last year? Oh, well, you know, I just, that's just my area there. I just struggle with that. You know, I'm, I'm exposed to it all the time. It's just really, it's just really, it's hard. I'm not saying it's not hard. But that sounds a lot like an excuse. It sounds like you really don't even want to try. What can we as believers do to help us love God or love Jesus and not the world? What can we do daily? What can we do this week to help us to love Jesus more? Be in his word. Pray. What else can we do this week to love Jesus more? Share the word. What about the spirit? Trust the Spirit. We have to trust and live in the Spirit. Jesus gave the Spirit to us as believers. 
Not just so that we can say, you know, yeah, the Holy Spirit's within me. But yet for us to live out the realization that God, God the Spirit, is with us every moment of every day. Mike, change the playlist. Change the playlist. We come back to our definition of a disciple, a fully functional follower of Christ. Somebody that is growing in the way they think, are they thinking more and more like Christ? Growing in the way that their being, their essence, who they are at their core is more like Jesus. Doing things that are more and more like Christ. And then proclaiming, talking, sharing, as many of you have already said, Christ more and more and more. The reason we have this definition is not so that it just pops up once in a while and you see it on some of our literature and things like that. It's to give you a target. Now it can be challenging when you get 66 books and you're told to go be like Jesus. So we've trimmed it down a little bit here. All throughout the 66 books though, you can see there's this more godliness, this growing in Christ-likeness that we need to be having in our lives. So then, coming to a close in the last few verses, I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other will be left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. We have to be careful at this point. Because as pastor's been talking us through the last few months, as soon as you read that passage, many of you pop to one thing. The rapture. Now, a moment ago, I talked about (coughs) interpreting Scripture with Scripture. And so we got to be careful here on what's happening with the different people. And not just jumping to a conclusion because we hear this storyline and we've seen it played out in a series of books and in movies. And it's the predominant thought within the United States of America. That thought is not the predominant thought of believers around the world. And that predominant thought has only existed since the early 1900s in the United States. That God owes us. American believers who are living out the American dream in the country that God built where everybody loves Jesus. So if we're believers, he's not going to let us go through the great tribulation. Oh no, he would not do that in any way. I say that with a lot of jest and, and extra because that was not a thought with theologians until the early 1900s and that was only theologians that are in the United States. So let's go to some scripture. Let's think through the passage that we just read and let's think through some other scripture. So in Matthew 13, he put another parable or uh, he put another parable to before them saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while the man was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds amongst the wheat and went away. And then we jump to 30. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will take the, tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in the bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. 
Now, what's this big event that this parable seemingly is talking about? The day of the Lord. And what is happening? One of the events that the day of the Lord will be? The great white throne judgment. Okay, so, so we all think that that's what this parable is talking about. But are you noticing the end of the passage? Does that sound very similar to something that we've read tonight? Two will be in the bed. And what will be happening? One will be taken. One will be left. We can't jump to a popular theory. We need to go to Scripture first. It really seems like Jesus is painting a picture of when judgment comes, they're going to be separated, those that are unbelievers and those that are believers. And by this passage, it would seem like who's taken first? The unbelievers. And so that totally is against the rapture theory before the tribulation. I think we talked through all of that. And we came back to that. We talked about that. The last verse. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, the vultures will gather. What are the disciples asking? What's that? They're going to ask the where. Where is it taken? Where are they taking them? What's going on? What else are they asking them? Do the disciples seem to be getting all of this? Are they connecting the dots yet? Again, they're not quite there. They're not quite understanding what Jesus is saying here. They're, they're missing the point. Well, guess what? We get the opportunity to learn from their mistakes. We have the opportunity to have the Holy Spirit within us. And so that's where we need to make sure that we're not missing the dots. We need to make sure we're connecting the dots. And that's what Pastor's been challenging us on, is using Scripture to identify the dots and the points that are definitely there that we can definitely see. No matter how many people believe a certain thing, if they're not showing in Scripture, we need to side with the Scripture. Numbers don't matter when it comes to the, uh, theology. We've got to stay with the Scripture. So let's make sure that we're seeing there is a present age. There is a day of Jesus where many things will happen. And then there is an age to come. I don't really feel that Scripture narrows down the timeline better than that. Now I know for many of us, including myself, I've seen great detailed timelines with all of this and everything spelled out exactly. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. But I don't know that we have the specificity to say exactly what order all of that will take place in. But yet we know it will take place. And so we need to come back to this simple 
timeline. We are in a present age, the already, the present, earthly kingdom. Jesus is king and he's ruling and reigning in the lives of believers. We need to live that out. We need to be demonstrating that. We need to be that light in this dark world where people see that we have a king. People should be able to see that Mike is different because Mike has a king, a holy king, a righteous king. Mike is not his own king. That is basically where most unbelievers are. Now the temptation is that Mike wants to seize control and power. And that's where every day, every moment, I have to let the Holy Spirit rule and reign in my life. And I've got to circle back to that and circle back to that. And it seems very simple. It seems very easy. But yet, it's a challenge for me every day. It might not be for you, but if it is, I want to challenge you not to give up, to stay the course, because there is that day. And for everybody that is an unbeliever at that point, the age to come for them will be a whole lot different than the age to come for us as believers. And so that has to mean something for us. Because eternity is for everyone. Okay, there's going to be this age to come. I painted the picture for believers, but yet the age to come for unbelievers, today, they are living their best life. No matter what situation they're in today, this is the best that they're going to experience for eternity. Because they're going to be in eternal damnation, gnashing of teeth, pain, crying. And so that's where we need to live out the Great Commission. We need to see this picture that we're in this age. We don't know how long we're going to be in this age. We don't know. But yet, that shouldn't stop us from being obedient. And so Jesus answered the question with two answers. He already was here as king, and so the kingdom was already here, but yet the eternal kingdom was still yet to come. And so from their one question, he gave them two clear answers. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help each of us, as we just talked about, to totally let the Holy Spirit work within us, And that we would let Jesus be our king, ruling and reigning within us and everything that we are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.